0: He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever, say it with me, whoever, say it with me, red or yellow, black or white, short or tall, skinny or challenged, hair or no hair, whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, would have everlasting life. Say this, God did not send His world, His Son into the world. To condemn it it. But that the world through him Might be saved saved. That's right This is a crazy That's one of the most powerful That is the gospel in a nutshell That's the gospel in a very simple thing One of the things we need to know about the Lord Is God is triune The word triune simply means It's where we get the word trinity The Bible teaches us that he is three But he is one He is co-equal so we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are three, but they are one. The Bible uses a word called Ehad, and it's a compound unity. The Trinity, the idea that God is Father, Son, and Spirit is not something that came from the New Testament. It is something that finds its home in the very first verse of the Bible. And, go, and is threaded all the way through. One of the things you, you know, is particularly about doctrine or about biblical teaching, is you must, it must be true from Genesis to Revelation. In other words, there must be a consistent truth through the entirety of the book in order for doctrine to properly be formed, right? So doctrine is what the Bible teaches. Dogma is man's opinions. And a lot of times, particularly in churches and Christian teaching, a lot of times we kind of infiltrate our doctrine with dogma and we give opinion. If I, try, if I do that, I try to tell you, this is my opinion. Even though I don't, I don't really ever, I try to only give you what, what the Bible says, but the Bible teaches us in the very first book of the very first verse of the Bible it says in the beginning God uses a word there a Hebrew word for God is the Hebrew word say it with me Elohim. Elohim. It is a plural word Elohim in the beginning the Hebrew language Eloi is singular Elohim the I am on the end of a Hebrew word is what designates it as a plural word so Eloi is singular God. Elohim is plural, plural God, right? So in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, uh, created the heavens and the earth. we see that all throughout. The Hebrew children have a thing called in Deuteronomy, right? So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books in, and God's already, he's already instituting a mantra into into his people's lives. They had to say something called, say this with me, Shema, they had to say the Shema three times a day. What's the Shema? I'm going to tell you. Deuteronomy 6.4. I'm going to tell you. The Shema, it says, Shema Israel. Here, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it, what it means is, Elohim Adonai is Ahad. So we got, they had to say three times a day, I want you to listen to something special. Well, to just say, here, Israel, you have one God. There's nothing special about that. Nothing special. Okay, wow, mind blown. Boom. The mind bomb is not in the fact that Israel worshipped one God. The mind bomb is in the fact that Israel has three that are one. That's what the mind bomb was. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit, Hero Israel, the Lord your God Adonai, the God Elohim, is a is a Hebrew word, and it means compound unity. It means we, us, them. So God clearly, Old Testament, New Testament, God did say this with me. The Bible, come on, help me out. The Bible. Does not explain God. Explain God. The, Bible the Bible declares him. There is no explanation. People go, I'm going to read the Bible so that God, so that God, God can explain himself. He's not explaining anything. He's just telling you. <laughs> He's telling you, this is who I am. Here is where the Lord your God is one. He doesn't explain that concept to us. He just hands it to us and says, this is the way it is. So we have a father, we have a son, we have a Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, so they are equal in authority. They are co-existent. They all exist eternally. They are individual in personhood. Father's personhood is, 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 is unique to himself. The son's personhood is unique to himself. And the spirit's personhood is unique to themselves. Yet they are united in purpose and nature. Same God, different, different personalities, Yet they're united in purpose and nature. Their heart is the same. It is a concert with Himself. This is the most beautiful thing that you could ever know about God. If you want to know something about the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, say it with me. It is the Lord, our God, in concert with Himself. The Trinity is a constant state of submission and honor. There is no competition in the Godhead. It is the Father serving the Son, the Son serving the Father, the the, the Father serving the Spirit, the Spirit serving the Father, the Son serving the Spirit, the Spirit serving the Father. It is a constant communalness amongst them. They are interweaving themselves in submission and honor one to the other. Constantly. And that's the way God has designed His church. Is that we are to be in a constant state of interwoven honor one to the other. That's what Jesus said. They'll know you're my disciples by how? By how much better you are than each other? By how much Bible knowledge you have? No, by the constant contact of honor, love, and submission. That's what agapeo means. The word love there is the Greek word agapeo. And it's the God kind of love. It is not the, God, it is not the love of the earth. They'll know, that, they'll know you belong to me by the way you agapeo one another. We're to serve, honor, and elevate one another for no particular reason at all. Just because we can. We're to seek the benefit of the other for no other reason other than we want to. Because that's exactly how God is. The church should never be a competition. It's not a competitive environment. We can compete, but we compete for higher levels in the spirit. But we're not competing with one another. We're not trying to get on top of one another and go, look what I got, look what I got, look what I got. You know? We're competing with one another in a sense that we're all trying to go higher, but at the same time, we're compete those that have reached a certain level. Bible teaches us that we're obligated. Freely you have received, now freely give. You who He told Peter, now that you've been transformed. Once you're transformed, use that transformation and strengthen your brothers. Everything that we have is to be used for the benefit of all. There's no organization, no organism, no institution, no business, no anything like the church. That's what the house of God is supposed to be. That's what God's people are supposed to be like. We're not supposed to be narcissists. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. That's not what we are. You know, it's all about me. It's all about what I can get, when I can get it. God's my bellhop. You know, we honor God. We're in constant, our lives are in constant honor and submission. Submission. Unto the Lord. Do you know He's in constant honor and submission unto you? What do you seek? That's submission. Honor. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Love. Well, if God loves me, this wouldn't be happening. God's love to you is to highest good. God is constantly loving you. Constantly loving you. Not in an emotional state. God's love for you is constantly working towards your good. Our problem is... We don't cooperate with the program. Can I get a witness? Yes. We don't always cooperate with God's program. God says left, we say right. God says up, we say down. Lord says yes, we say no. <laughs> but the, the Godhead the Trinity is always in concert and always in love, servitude and adoration. It's constant, constant, always. The word God in this verse in the Greek is the word theos. And it means owner and creator of all. It mirrors the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is an absolute unified authority in plurality. That's what Elohim means. Judge of all. Absolute authority in plurality. Theos is creator and owner of all things. You know what the beautiful thing about it is as a Christian? You're not to know Elohim. You, you, you know of Elohim. Elohim. But you are to know Him in an intimate way. We don't call Him Elohim. We call Him Father. Yes. The angels know Him as Elohim. They don't know Him as Father. There's not one record anywhere in the text, whenever an angel appears, that he ever, they ever use the word Jesus. They never use the word Jehovah. They never use the word Yahweh. And they most definitely never use the word Father. The only word the angels ever utter in reference to God is Elohim. Because that's all they know Him as. They know Him as Supreme, God, All-Powerful, Almighty. They know Him by no other name. It is only given to the sons and daughters to know Him as Father. You have an open invitation to know Him as Father. Most don't. Most know of Him, but they never really know Him. They never take the time to develop themselves into the intimacy of the relationship. It's true. Most Christians are afraid of the name Jesus. They use the word God. Which God? Which God? Well, God in my life, I believe in God. Which God? Which God do you believe in? Well, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. If your God don't look like Jesus, we ain't serving the same God. I can tell you that right now. That's why you come here. It's like, Jesus, 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 Holy Spirit, Jesus, 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 Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven. I don't like, I don't even, I even cringe at the generic word God. Because I know I'm not called to know Him in that way. I'm called to know Him intimately. I know Him as Father. I know him as, I know him as Jesus. I know Him as Lord, Adonai. I know Him as Savior. I know who He is. I know the Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKadash. The one who lives in me. Whose breath resides within me. Whose power is inside of me, undeniably. It's not a knowledge, it's a power within, Christian. The Gospel is not about Knowledge. Knowledge is, the knowledge is important, but experience trumps knowledge. Yes. Being born again is an experience. You don't ascend there by going through a class and now I'm saved. You don't ascend to salvation. You receive it. It's an impartation of power. Boom. I was alive and now I'm dead. There's something different. I don't know what's wrong What in the world. What, what's going on with me? That's what it means to be born again. If you never had that moment... You need, to, you, know, you need to probably ask yourself, Am I really born again? You say, Well, I had that moment, but I forgot what it was like. Well, then remember the joy of your salvation. Go back to that and live from that place again. Jesus never took it from you. Most Christians forget what it's like to be born again. You were happy when you were born again. Remember that? Remember when you got born again? You were happy, you were singing songs. <laughs> and then the church and life just beat the joy out of you. <laughs> True. Remember the joy of your salvation, the freedom, the liberty, the no condemnation, the generosity, the life of your hope that comes from that place in time. Remember that. That's where we live from. Since God so loved the world, the counsel of the Trinity, the one who is complete in nature, whose nature is love. God, say this with me. God's love... Must be defined. And say this. The love of God, God. by biblical definition, is to seek the highest good. That has to be understood. Because there's a... Particularly, like, there's a movement of young... the The church evolves from generation to generation. The younger generation... Oh, it's all about love. It's all about God's love. Oh, God's love. I'm all in, dude. I'm in. Chip's in. I'm in. I don't hold any cards back. But I always ask... Define that love to me. Define the love of God to me. Because if you can't define the love of God, then you don't know what the love of God is. Because the love of God is not an emotional experience. The love of God is just not absolute tolerance for anything that you think is acceptable. That is not the love of God. Well, God loves me. Therefore, I'm able to do whatever I want. Who told you that? Who told you that? The Father has architected a plan. And this plan was to send the Son. Mankind had fallen, mankind had separated, and the Father created a plan. The Bible says it was the Father's will that he be bruised. It was the Father's will that he be put to shame. So the counsel of the Godhead was this is what our holiness will accept. Man has sinned, man has fallen, man has separated himself from us. We have two choices. We condemn and destroy or we utterly prepare a way or we do something to prepare a way for those who want to to come back. That was the only option. We either, we either work out a plan of redemption or we create an acceptable plan because it's, not, it's, not, it's God's holiness that has to be satisfied. It's God's justice that has to be satisfied. And so in the council of the Trinity, the council of the Godhead, there, the council was what will satisfy our justice. And the counsel was, one must become like them. One must do for them what they cannot do for themselves. One must carry a bloodline of the earth and a bloodline of heaven in order to bring the two worlds back again. One must go before them and offer themselves sinlessly, without sin, in order for the two worlds to merge. And who will go? It could have been either any three of them. The son said, I'll go volunteer vision, guys. He wasn't forced to. He volunteered. He volunteered. We need to understand what he actually did for us. I mean, we are so, we're so so arrogant and foolish as believers sometimes. Do you not know what he did for you? You can't get out of bed. He volunteered to come to this place. And when you get to heaven and you see the contrast between his world and ours, you're going to understand that the king of glory who needs nothing Eternal in everything, in need of nothing, completely humbled Himself. There is none more exalted than the Godhead, none, none. In time and in eternity, there is none who holds higher position. They have honor. They everything that is desired, they have it. And Jesus gave it all up to come for you, to come for you, come for you. That should humble us and that should invoke a response. Love is designed to invoke a response. A gesture of love, at the very least, needs an offer of thank you. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us and that we should be called the children of God? What manner of love has He done? How much has He loved us? They architected a plan. The Son said, I will execute it. This is the plan. Father said, yep, this is what we're going to go with. The son said, I'll, I'll, I'll execute it. And then the Holy Spirit said, I will administrate it. But if you don't understand the beauty of what, what actually went on, Jesus didn't come to just save you. He came to restore you to your rightful position. He came to open up to you the rights of inheritance that belong only to you, Christian. No one else has the rights of inheritance you do. And you leave the money in the bank. They don't want to use it up. You know what's funny about God's money? The more you spend it, the more it comes back. What our inheritance in heaven is designed to be spent. It's designed to be used. Our spiritual bank account is to be in constant flow, constant flow, because it never runs out. God, we think we think from deficiency. Our biggest problem is the way we think, and one of the ways we think we think from deficiency. We think there's never enough. We serve El Shaddai. Anybody know what El Shaddai means? I know? All sufficient. All sufficient. Now, is He all sufficient or if is he, is he not? Is he, are you a son and are you a daughter? And if you are, then you're an heir to His nature and His name. We think from insufficiency, He thinks from sufficiency. We think from impossibilities, He thinks from possibilities. That's how it works. Is anything too difficult for God? We're like, well, if God wants to do it, this is the arrogant nonsense that the church. I hear this stuff barked all the time, and I want to, I want to like rake the paint off the walls. <laughs> and they go, well, if God wants, if God wanted to do it, He'd do it. No, He doesn't do it for you; He does it with you. It's from the very beginning; it was always a partnership, and it is even now. Well, if God wanted that to happen in my life, it would happen. No, not without your participation. It's not. No, well, not sorry. He's not doing anything. He, I'm gonna tell you right now. I said this in one pastor goes, I said this statement. I'll tell you what I I'll tell you the response I got, and I was like, oh my gosh. I said this. I said, Jesus doesn't work any harder than you. And this pastor goes, Well, Jesus isn't working at all. Jesus has already done the work. I'm like, Yes and no. You know, Jesus has done the work of salvation, but he's still working. He's still moving. So He sat down. Yes, He sat down in the complete work of salvation. But He has sent the Holy Spirit to administer the benefic- to the beneficiaries the fruits of that work and to partner with us in moving forward. So yes, Jesus is working. So if Jesus, if Jesus isn't working, I guarantee if He had an answer for that, He wouldn't have an answer for this. I'll say this. The Holy Spirit isn't working any harder than you. There's no answer for that. Because the Holy Spirit is working. Holy Spirit's been released. To administer the kingdom. And he's working now. And he's not going to do it for you. He's going to do it with you. And so you better learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit if you expect to manifest the kingdom. Our whole goal, Christian, Jesus came to reveal the Father. And into the Father is our relationship. Into our, into our Father is our identity. Into our Father is our inheritance. Into our Father is our responsibility. That, all of that matters. Unto that is what all of us are accountable for. We're accountable to, for the relationship. We're accountable and in the relationship, we're accountable to not just know Him, we're accountable to know who we are. We're accountable to know what our inheritance is and we're accountable to know what our responsibility is. The word responsibility means your ability to respond. You are allowed, you are, God is looking at you and expecting you to exercise an ability to respond. And what does it look like? It looks merely like partnering with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. He does it all. If you learn to partner with the Holy Spirit, easiest thing in the world. The Son executed the plan, and now the Holy Spirit is administering it. This word "begotten." What does this word "begotten" means mean? It's a Greek word, monogenes or monogenus, however you want to pronounce that, and it means to be sent forth. Basically, the the basic interpretation of "begotten" is sent forth the only sent forth son of the father but it also means uniqueness it can be translated one of a kind the only the one of a kind sent forth from the from the father there's not going to be another say with me there's one rock star and his name is jesus i want you to just say this he is not one among many he is the one and only there's not many people there's one one of a kind one rock star his name's jesus He's not one god among all gods. He's not an expression of God. He is God himself come in the flesh. Period. The son is not a New Testament concept. Psalm 2, this is there's several places we talk about sonship through the Bible, but an easy one and just a short one. In Psalm 2, I will declare a decree the Lord says to me, today you're my son and I've begotten you, or today I send you forth in your uniqueness. It's a prophetic word that God is speaking of what will happen with the son. So the Hebrew people knew that God was to send himself in divine representation. They knew it. They knew it. And they knew what Jesus was saying when he referred to himself as son. They knew exactly. They wanted to kill him for that very statement. You make yourself equal with God. He's like, yeah, sure do. But they knew that God was going to send himself forth as a son. They knew it. Son of David, son of man. They knew it. And Jesus said, whose son is David's son? And he asked them that question and they couldn't answer it because if they answered that question, they would expose their hypocrisy because they were expected to know. The teachers of Israel were expected to know. Expected to know. God help us to have leaders in our churches that know what they're talking about. I mean, you may not be the Bible answer man and be able to answer all things, but you better be able to, be able to answer most of it. You better be batting about three seven seven fifty. You better be hitting three quarters of the balls out of the park, or you better go learn. Because you're not. Because stupidity, ignorance, stupidity and ignorance in God's pulpit is not acceptable. It just isn't. All should not seek to be teachers, James three, for such will face a stricter judgment. That would be me. You don't think I know this? I'm well aware of it. God's not going to judge me based upon what, the, what it, based upon, well, the denomination taught me this. This was, I learned this by tradition. He doesn't care. I'm not, he's going to hold me accountable. He's not going to excuse me because I have a denominational viewpoint. He's not going to excuse me because I taught according to church tradition. That's not what he, that's not what he's looking for. Did you teach me? Did you teach them according, not just to my word, but according to my heart? Did you take them further? Did you open up to them the realms of possibility? Did you call them to the things that I have told you to call them to? I will answer for that. I will. He will answer me. He will ask me that question. And I will stand accountable for that. And I have no fallback position. So therefore, those who stand before the Lord, you better know what you're talking about. Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not know these things? So he told Nicodemus, are you teaching God's people and you can't understand basic spiritual truths? I hype on that because that is so true in our American culture. I cannot stand it. I also can't stand it. I should be a little more mellow than that. But it's very true in our culture. We have the wealth of the gospel in this country unoffended. I'm not saying the gospel is an offense, but nobody's, they're not coming in the doors with guns to arrest anybody for us having a Bible study. They're not in China. They will. In India, they will. They burn the church to the ground. They make the Christians leave. If they, they, India's tolerant of them. Not entirely. If the church gets too big, the Hindus, draw, the Hindus blow it into the ground. And they scatter the Christians. They do it time and time again. <laughs> they do it everywhere. In Russia, they used to nail pastors to the floor. Just to mock them. They'd crucify them to hardwood floors. And let them bleed out on the floor. They'd shoot them and drive spikes in their hand. Just for fun. We have the gospel without opposition in our country. We not only should be rich with it, we should be generous with it. We should not treat it as trinkets and trifles. Although the gospel's fun. There's nobody more fun than Jesus. But we should move it past novelty. And we should move it into power. Power. And we should be transforming this nation. And we should be transforming the world. And yet we settle for so much less. So much less. May God do something in our generation. Our watch, Christian. We're on watch. We're responsible for our generation. You and I. I don't account for my parents' generation, but I will account for mine. I won't account for my sons' and daughters' generation, but I will account for mine. And like my wife told me, not on my watch. Not on my watch. The waxing of the love of many grows cold. Not on my watch. (laughs) Not on my watch. No way. God's the man upstairs. God, who just loves us. Loves us. It's rainbows, unicorns, and my little pony. That's the attitude. Nothing offensive. Nothing challenging. Nothing transformative. We're all the same. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. You are unique in your generation. You are chosen in your generation. That's what Peter says. You're a chosen generation. If you read it in the Greek, you are chosen in your generation. You were appointed for such a time as this. In this time, in this hour. For what purpose? His well what is that? I don't know. We should ask him, shouldn't we? Yes, yeah. It's what we should be questing for. Kiss the sun. The Bible says this kiss the sun lest he be, be angry with you. That word anger is there's a Greek word called orge, and that was rage or anger. That's not the word that's used here. Kiss the sun lest he breathe hard against you. What well, Paul was doing, Paul wasn't honoring the son, and Paul J- jesus said, "You're kicking against the goats. It's hard to go against the wind, isn't it Paul? It's hard to kick against the goats. Honor the sun, lest the wind blow against you, lest he breathe hard against you. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. The sun is a divine designation and a title, so sonship, God as son, is nothing new in the New testament it's in the old. it was a divine title designated from the from the most ancient of times it means equal rightful heir of all things jesus is in equal e- equality to the father and he is heir of all things so what is he he's first he's the son of man he's many things but we'll just put it in this order son of man which what means what he is born into human flesh he became like you and me why he didn't have to christian he didn't have to but he wanted to he wanted to for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. Here's joy. Here's joy. Do you know that he looks at you with joy? He looks at you with joy. Do you look at your kids with joy when you see your kids? No, okay, yeah. no. I know kids get on our nerves. I know. I get it. You know. I know. I get it. I get it. I've been really practicing, and I hope Sherry notices. I've been trying to look at her with joy lately. I have. When you're married a long time and you do a lot of things together, you kind of lose touch with that. You know? You lose touch with that. And you got to kind of remember that stuff. And you got to make yourself do that stuff. Even when you don't want to, you got to remember, oh. oh, wow, this is actually my child. Okay. All right. <laughs> he came in human flesh. He looks at you with joy, though. He looks at you with joy. He's not a man like us in the sense that he gets tired of us. We get tired of our kids, right? Come on. Come on. Every now and then, you just want a weekend alone. Okay? Every now and then. But he never gets tired of you. And he's always glad to see you. He became as us to suffer death. Why? He became like us to pay a price in our form. Man's sin, sin had corrupted us emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Jesus came in divine perfection, born of woman, not of man, divinely conceived. How did he do it? He made himself a body. The one who spins planets on his fingers, he can't make himself a body? Are you kidding me? Bible says he cast the stars from his hands. Can you do that? Can you just go. Bible says he dances and he twirls and he sings. And I think it was like a disco party going on. And Jesus is just spinning in the universe, casting glitter out of his hands, man. Say, what was the rhythm? He sings over you. The Bible says he sings songs of victory over your life. What would happen? Come on, I'll give you a dare. What if you went into the spirit and you just said, Father, sing the songs of victory over me. Jesus, do the war dance against my enemies. I dare you. You say, I can do that 100% you can, Christian. We serve the God of the living, not the God of the dead. You don't know Him in experience. When you know Him in experience, you'll know you can exactly go there. Ain't no drug like the Spirit of God. That's the true rock. You want to hit the crack? That's the crack right there. Holy Spirit is crack. You can, People look at me like... If you read your Bible, as the deer pants for the water, that's a Jones people. I am panting for you. I run through the fields of green to find your river. What is that? Running and finding to find the river. Where are we going? What is he doing? I have got to be where you are flowing. I've got to be where your heart is known. I've got to be. I have to drink of your well. I cannot function without the Holy Spirit. And neither can you. Neither can you. So who are you kidding? So let your heart and let your mouth pant for what can only satisfy. Step into the Spirit. Let His power come to you. Just go, Holy Spirit, sing over me. Holy Spirit, sing over me. Lord, dance over me. He jumps from his throne, twirls in the air and shouts. Well, we need to be quiet in the house of God. I'm like, have you read your Bible? He jumps in the air and spins. What in the world is that? I don't know. But when he sees you coming and you enter into him and you're going to see him face to face, he's going to jump from that throne, spin in there and he's going to shout. He's going to go, Woo! My daughter's here. Woo! My son just walked into the room. Fired up. He'll silence the angels for you. He'll silence the angels. All of heaven will go silent when he hears the cries of his saints. Do you know how much you matter to him? The devil is a liar. He's a liar, a liar, a liar, a liar. He inflicts damage and then he blames it on the Lord. He's an accuser of the brethren, but he's an accuser of the father as well. He accuses you to the father and he accuses the father to you. God doesn't love you. If he loved you, you would, things would be different. Look what he does for sister Susie over there. He loves her, but he doesn't love you. He see, look at that. She's special to him. You're not. He doesn't love you. If you were a better person, maybe he'd love you. Who told you that? He's a liar son is a divine designation. He's the son of God. He's the son of man born into human flesh to pay for us, to do for us, to buy back what we sold away. We gave it away. We couldn't get it back to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus. I mean, most churches in America today, we act like the devil doesn't exist. I don't even hear the word devil in the church ever. I mean, I don't know if y'all get out much. I listen to tap. I listen to teachings all the time. Always got my pulse to it. Always got my pulse to what, what what rhythms are going on, what's happening. Always. And I notice little subtleties such as that. They never use the word devil. Don't even use it. <laughs> Just a bad circumstance you're going through. <laughs> I don't know about that. Seems a little weird to me. It seems a little spiritual. Don't want to use the devil, don't want to use the word sin. You need to edit those words, Kevin. That's what I've been told. I've been told that. In teachings, in sessions. Talking about how we conduct our worship services. They, they teach you. They teach pastors. We need to edit words that we use. I mean, Anybody been to churches where they edit words? You've been to churches where they don't use these words that I'm talking about? You don't have to go far. Lots of them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Got Somebody's honest. Okay. They don't use the words. And you probably just aren't listening. But if you listen, you'll hear. You know, I've never heard anybody talk about the devil one time here. I've never heard anybody one time talk about spiritual authority here once. I've never heard anybody even mention the word sin. I've never heard the word righteousness one time. Nor, definitely, I already hold, nor do we ever talk about judgment. Oh, no, no, no. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How do you think unbelievers are coming to Jesus if they don't understand or we don't speak about sin, righteousness, and judgment? That that conversation is not for the Christian. That's for the unbeliever. But the Holy Spirit ministers to the lost through sin, righteousness, and judgment. You're sinful. You're lost. You're not white with God. If you confess Christ, you'll be saved. If you're not, you're lost in judgment. That's how He works. He doesn't, work in, he doesn't work through try Jesus. I just heard a guy on the radio. I was like, "It's like you've tried so many other things. You've tried. All we're saying is try Jesus. Sherry, I'm, like, yeah. sure, I'm going to try marriage. That's what we're going to do. We're going to try it. We're going to try it out. We're going to try. try kids. We're going to try raising kids. We're going to try. We don't try you commit. You don't try you give yourself to it. He gives himself to you. And in the flesh he takes back. He becomes our legal representative. Jesus is now your legal representative. He's your advocate. Stands before heaven on your behalf. He claims you. He stands. He testifies. Making intercession for you always. Why? Because the devil. Here again I'm going to say it. The devil is accusing you by day, by night before the Father. And the Holy Spirit is vindicating you by day, by night. The blood of Jesus. Blood and altars speak. And Jesus' blood speaks on our behalf. And the altar of living sacrifice that came through the Son, giving His life on the cross, speaks. The words of your testimony, the commitment of your heart, speaks and bears witness. He's now the legal representative, and guess what? He has legal authority. All judgment has been committed to the Son. Aren't you glad? Yes. There's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. No judgment over you. Not now, not ever. No judgment. He's not angry with you. Ever. Ever. It's a concept we got to get. You can't screw it up if you tried. All things are lawful. Not all things are profitable. Sinful behavior does not disqualify a born-again believer from eternity. It disqualifies a born-again believer from their destiny, but not from eternity. And what I have learned is that most born-again believers that are bound in sin, their, their biggest problem is ignorance. It's not arrogance. If you're arrogant, you're probably not saved. You know? If you just willfully, willfully, willfully... You go and sin and you have no conscience about it... You're probably not sinned. You're not saved. Okay, Christian? Are we here, Christian? Any Christians in the room? Everybody say, give me a what, what if you're a Christian. What? That's right. There we go. All right. So, when you sin as a Christian... You feel something, don't you? Come on. You sense something. When you sinned as a sinner... You didn't feel anything at all, did you? Come on. When before you were saved, some of you got saved very young, but let's talk to the crowd that came in a little late in the game. When you got when you before you were a Christian and you sinned, you didn't feel anything at all. No remorse, no regret. You felt nothing but a sense of entitlement or yeah, maybe I should have did that. Oh well, they need to get over it. That was more your attitude. Some of you encounter people like that, and you're like, "Wow, I'm around people like that all the time. How can they be so indifferent? Because they're sinners. They're sinners. So the difference between being born again is what the Bible would say between sheep and pigs. Don't cast pearls before swine. That would be the word pig. Pigs love the mud. They roll in the mud. Live in it. Love it. Throwing it all around. Getting down the stinkier the better. Woo, Love it. Get down in that mud. Pigs like to get other pigs into the mud with them. But if you ever watch lambs Lambs don't like the mud at all They can't stand it Lambs don't even really like to be dirty They get dirty because their wool gets really big But they're very like Clean, you know They don't like like that environment You say, how do you know if I'm a lamb or if you're a pig? Do you roll in the mud? Do you like it? (laughs) There's a word for you You need to examine yourself to see if you're saved. Or are you a lamb that finds themselves in the mud and you don't like it and you're crying out, you're crying out, you're crying out. Because that's what lambs do. That's the difference. So how do you know if you're born again? Well, a simple examination of your nature, among other things. Or how do I know if that person's born again? How do I know if these people are saved? There's a lot of people that have a consciousness about God, but they're not born again in their heart. And then there's, a, there's this kind of condemnation that the believer lives under all the time that they feel if they sin, if they lie, they cheat. I'm not advocating, say this with me. The pastor is not advocating sin. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But the condemnation that we feel over mistakes that we make in our human frailty, we feel condemned and unloved, and we feel isolated and pushed out of the kingdom. And we're not. We're not. It's true. Jesus washed Peter's feet, didn't he? Did Peter want him to wash his whole body? And what did Jesus tell him? No need. No need. You've already been cleansed, Peter. I don't need to wash you from head to toe. He said, but I need to wash your feet. Because what you've been walking in isn't always the best. It's our feet that get dirty, Christian. But there's no need for a complete immersion if you're born again. So what Jesus told Peter, I could give you a couple other examples, but that's a very clear one. He said, "I must wash your feet, or you have no part of me." So not just my feet, but then my whole body. And Jesus said, "They have been cleansed; do not have the need to be cleansed again. You don't have the need to be cleansed again from heaven. You need your dirty feet washed." <laughs> You probably need need to challenge your choices. You need to develop your character. You need to examine your friendships. The people, the places, and the things that are around you that keep taking you in to the mud pit. And Jesus has to come and drag you out. Good news, he'll take you out every time. He will. But he doesn't want to be just the rescuer. That's not his role in your life. He doesn't want to have to. He's like, I'll do it. If this is the relationship you want to have with me, Kevin, where you're always in the mud and I'm always bailing you out, and you're always in the mud and I'm always bailing you out, if that's the relationship you want to have, well, good luck. But there's another one. There's a higher one. There's a better one. Can we go down that road? Can we go down that path? Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. Made himself in the likeness of men. He took on human form. Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Became obedient to the, to, the death, to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Here's the servitude. The son submits to the father's plan. The father says, this is the plan that's acceptable in the council of our holiness. The son says, I'll do it. And he goes and he humbles himself and does everything that is asked of him. And therefore, the father says, now because you have done this, I exalt you. In the servitude and the submission to the plan of the Godhead. Now therefore, in your servitude, in your exaltation, therefore now you will be exalted. God exalts the humble. Resists the proud. It's the dynamic of the kingdom. Jesus is exalted. Given a name which is above every name that every name will bow. They're not bowing to Buddha, people. They're not bowing to Krishna. They're not bowing to Allah. Not going to happen. One God, his name's Jesus. One name given under heaven by which we will be saved. One name and every single knee will bow. In the earth and in the heaven, every devil will bow. Every cultist will bow. Every unbeliever will bow. Every mocker will bow. Every scoffer will bow. And every son and daughter will bow. And we do it willingly. We bow with a song. (laughs) Ha ha ha. We sing while we bow. All will acknowledge Him as Lord. Not one will not acknowledge Him as Lord. All will acknowledge His Lordship. All. On their way to eternal judgment, they will not pass go. They will stop and they will acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They will. Every person, every living person, every spirit and every living person will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus at one point or another. My suggestion is that you do it on this side of eternity. It's a lot better deal. Okay, You get the bonus plan on this side. There's no bonus plan on the other side. But the bonus plan is on this side. He's the son of David. He's born of the royal line of the earth. So Jesus was born of the royal line of heaven and he's born of the royal line of earth. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. There is none like him. There will never be anyone like him. He was fulfilling the prophetic word. He was born the Son of God of the royal line of heaven by him to reconcile. Through Christ, he reconciles all things to himself things in the heavens and things in the earth. On earth as it is in heaven, that was the whole point of the reconciliation to set man right. Man who was separated in the earth, man was separated from eternity to set man right and to unify once again heaven and earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That is a concept, that is a statement, that is a proclamation, that is a promise that begs to be explored. Begs to be explored. On earth as it is in heaven. He's realigned you with heaven, Christian. You have access to heaven. Do you know that? You have access to the Spirit. Nobody, it always blows my mind. I did it for years. Years. Because I was taught not to do it. Don't talk too much about the Holy Spirit. Don't talk too much about the Holy Spirit, Kevin. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And I'd let the other opinions of others, some of you heard the dream I shared, and I'd let them turn me into an anemic. I would got carried away with the opinions of other people. And I saw, I had a vision, I had a dream, and the Lord showed me myself on a, I felt like, long story, but the end of this dream is, I saw myself on a hospital bed with an IV in my arm, and I was anemic. And the Lord had told me, you've let the opinions of other people carry to a place where you have no strength. You have no strength. And I'm like, thank you for showing me Jesus. We're dealing with that right now. Never again. Never again. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Don't you talk too much about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Spirit. (laughs) Jesus, 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 Jesus. You have access to the heavenly realm. I I did never bore into my inheritance. I did it for too long. Never again. Does it mean he doesn't love you? No, he doesn't love you. But why would you leave your harvest in the field, Christian? You leave your harvest in the field. You leave your harvest in the field. Two greatest errors of all believers. A, they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are and they don't know what's given to them. Those are the, they have no idea. That's Ephesians chapter 1. The prayer that Paul prayed for the church is exactly that. That you would know who you are and you would know what you have. And it's, say this, it's not too good to be true. It's so good it is true. It's beyond what you can think. It's beyond what you can see. Eye is not here, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart. What he has prepared for you. It's beyond your imagination. He's got it. It's for you. How do I find it? Press in. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the Lord. What do you have for me? Say it right now. I dare you. Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? First word. What's he say? Anybody? Say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? First word. What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you see? First thing. Love. Then we go, Holy Spirit, what about Love. Holy Spirit, what about this? We keep following the trail of the open door that He sets before us. He speaks to you in a manner that you can understand. That's a whole other story. The Word is a person, the Word is eternal, and the Word is God. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. Aren't you glad? And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became as we are, without sin. Why? So that Jesus can identify you. Lord, you don't have any idea what it means to suffer loneliness. Yes, He does. Lord, you don't have any idea what it means to suffer abuse. Yes, He does. Lord, you don't have any idea what it means to suffer betrayal. Yes, He does. Lord, you don't have any idea the pain and the suffering that I go through. Yes, He does. Lord, you don't have any idea what poverty feels like. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was, was all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father. That word glory is doxa. Say with me, doxa. So we get the word doxology. It means beauty, honor, expression, weight of substance. Jesus is a doxology. A doxology is a statement given unto the Lord in the highest terms. But Jesus is a doxa that is beyond words. There are no words high enough to give to him. So we give him what we got. But no matter what you have, there's nothing high enough to give him. He is, he is a doxa. He is a glory beyond words. He's the glory of the only begotten of the Father. He's full of what? Grace and truth. Grace is charis. Jesus is full of this. And the Bible says, this is yours. Say it with me. Grace and truth are mine in Christ Jesus. Anybody want to help me out? What's grace? Anybody? Spiritual power. Come on. Have I been with you this long and you don't know? Moving with love. That's exactly right. The word grace is the Greek word charis. It is spiritual power moving in love. Jesus is full of spiritual power moving in love. That's what it is. And you know what he has for you? Spiritual power moving in love. When you go, oh, I'm in a troubled time and God's grace is just sufficient for me. No, that's peace. Peace is a calmness. Grace is a spiritual power that he gives you that moves in love, that houses you to endure and overcome the situation. Grace is given to the overcomer. We come before the throne of grace. The rulership of the one who moves with spiritual power, moving in love. We have a wrong definition of grace in the church. And we've had it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. We've talked about grace in the wrong way. It's not that. People go, well, I don't know about that, Kevin. I just think, okay, y'all went, some of y'all went to Firestarters. Acts chapter 9. What is Acts chapter 9? That's the chapter where Paul got knocked off his donkey. Remember, you guys know that story? Anybody know the story where Paul got knocked off his donkey? He's riding on the road, right? Don. And the Lord knocked him off his donkey. In Acts chapter nine, there's no donkey. There's no donkey. But we've been saying this for generation after generation after generation to where the Christian believes that Paul got knocked off a donkey, because it's been said to you so many times, you believe it. It's not there. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, I got it. But what are the riches? What are the riches at Christ's expense? Spiritual power, moving in love. Everything in the New Testament, every single thing always reverts back to spirit and power. Everything. Every single thing God is doing is in the context of spirit and power. Spirit and power. You cannot escape it. You cannot get rid of it. The power, if the same spirit lives in you. It's a resurrection power. You can't, Paul says, if they, I came to you not with cunningness of words, but with demonstration and power. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in yet the churches, the very thing we avoid is spirit and power. We avoid that. Yet that's the whole essence of the gospel. He's full of grace, spiritual power, moving in love. He has power for you, moving in love because he wants to give it to you. That gives you the power to overcome. What's the word truth? Say this with me. Aletheia. Isn't that a beautiful word? That's what truth means in the Greek. Aletheia. Someone's like, I'm naming my daughter that. You should. It means reality. That's what truth means. Reality. Full of grace and what? Reality. That's exactly what the word means truth in the Greek means reality. What That which is real, it also means exposure to that which is real. Jesus came to expose us to what is real. To show us truth from a lie, but to, expose, to, 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 to show us the world as it is. To show us ourselves as we are. To offer salvation, but to give us access to a greater reality. His miracles testify of a greater reality. His miracles testify testify of a greater truth some of you can palate truth but you can't palate reality because reality gets a little too mystical for you reality the spirit world is the greater reality this is the lesser reality the christian has access to the greater reality on earth as it is in heaven we have access to the mind of christ our inheritances are in the heavenly places in christ jesus the church teaches that that's what we're... Our inheritance in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's what God's going to give us when we all enter into the kingdom and we all get in heaven. That's when we'll get our riches inheritance in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you're going to get it in the sweet by and by. In fact, the Bible actually tells you you can have it in the rotten here and now. The sweet by and by isn't helping me. I need it in the rotten here and now. I need access to my heavenly power, my heavenly kingdom, the riches that are available to me in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. But you've got to be attuned to the spirit, people. If you don't call and de- develop a spiritual relationship, it's not going to happen. Most Christians are carnal. Carnal. I'm not talking about lifestyle. They're not living carnal lifestyle or fleshly lifestyles, but they're carnal in their faith. They live a faith based only on spirit, only on human nature. Human intellect, human will, human ability, and then everything else is an excuse. He came... To become our reality. So not only is Jesus exposing us to reality. Giving us a greater reality. He came to be your reality. Jesus is to be everything. Your life is to move through him. Your decisions are to move through him. In him we live, move, and have our being. Acts 17, 28. He is your reality. There's no reality. Your job is not your reality. Jesus is your reality. (laughs) I'll give you a better one. You're a son who does that job. You're a daughter who does that job. Your reality is who Christ is, who you are in Him. Who am I in Christ? He is my reality. And who am I in Jesus? I'm a son. I'm a son of the highest. That's my reality. No matter what I do, I'm a son first. No matter what. Because that's my reality. And so I live my life through sonship. I live my life through relationship and sonship. I don't live my life through anything else. I'm a pastor. Yes, you're a pastor. No, pastor is what I do. Son is who I am. I'm a son who pastors. I'm a son who leads God's people. That's what I am. I'm a son who's a husband. I'm a son who's a father. I'm a son who's a friend. I'm a son. All of that reflects through that reality. You're a daughter. That's that's the framework. That's the grid. It's through Christ. He's your reality. Well, who are you in Jesus? Who are you? You're a daughter. You're a daughter. And you have rights. And you have inheritances. (laughs) Accept no substitutes for what God said you can have. Accept no substitutes for what God said you could have. Accept no substitutes for what God said you could have. Fight. Put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth. Contend for the promises God has made for you. I'm serious. (laughs) You got to go pirate style. You got to go backstreet. You know, it's an alley fight, man. We wrestle up close and personal. We have to contend for what God said you could have it. Accept no substitutes for what he has promised you. You Say, I don't know what he's promised you. You Start there. I'm fighting for the right to understand that I actually have promises. Fight for that. People tell you you don't have promises. Just, it's just, it's just really, it's just, it's super tragic. My perspective is if Jesus bought for it and he paid for it with blood, he expects you to have it. And we deny it. We deny it over our churches. We deny the people of God the, what what is rightfully theirs. We never challenge them. What would happen if we had an entire generation that was challenged into sonship? An entire generation that was challenged into daughtership? An entire generation that was challenged into the promises of their father over their life? An entire generation? What would happen? A power would happen. A wave would happen. Transformation nations would change Regions would change It's the church people Washington D.C. is not the catalyst of change I'll give you another one This will offend some of you Christians But that's what I'm here for My name's Kevin and I'm your friend Okay Jerusalem is not the center of change Jerusalem at this time Is not God's governmental authority on the earth The church is The church is the governmental authority upon the earth and so if the church doesn't rise to her calling, if the church doesn't rise to her nature, nothing's happening. Say it with me. This is my time. This is my hour. Say this. My life has no rewind. You can't hit rewind. I've been a student of the Bible most of my life. One thing you will know, and I'll to give you a little, couple of little tips. When the Bible speaks in the New Testament, it always speaks present forward, present forward, present forward. It's always speaking in the context of the now and tomorrow. Now, it's always like present now, present forward, present forward. It's never telling you, you know, most people set up a camp and they're lamenting the mistakes of the past. Well, you can do that, but at some point, you've got to bury that and you've got to move on, right? You've got to stop dragging around all that crap. You've got to let it go. And that's a whole other story. I'm going to close right here. He came to give us access to His world, to His reality. You guys should experiment with his reality. Serious. We, we, love our, we love research and development. Well, I don't know, Kevin. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to hear voices or anything like that. I mean, you know, I get people go, we're going you know, to do a vision encounter. We had a vision encounter in Firestarters last week. Very powerful. People go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do visions. I don't, I don't, I don't want the devil into my visions. I don't want the devil into my dreams. I'm like, are you nuts? So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit for a vision. I'm going to meet him in a place where he can actually begin to move with me in a vision. And the devil's going to intercede on that. Who, who, who do you think you're talking about here? I, I mean, are you kidding me? You know, I'm going to ask the Lord for a word over my life. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to me over my life. And we actually think that either he won't speak or the devil's going to speak to us. Who told you that? I, I could name you pastors that teach that We don't want the people If you teach people to hear the voice of God Pastor Kevin You're going to open them up And make them susceptible to demonic spirits I'm like oh really Is that what's going on Is that what your Bible says I'm telling you right now Some of you probably sat in the churches And you don't, your pastor never said that But that's what he believes That's what he'll say Well we don't want to manifest any demonic miracles I had somebody go That healing's of the devil I'm like really So let me get this straight Let me get this straight. So the devil's running around counterfeiting himself as the Holy Spirit, which is completely not going to happen. And then the next thing you're going to tell me is, now the devil's in the healing business too? So, Jesus gave the sickness and the devil healed. I'm telling you, that's the mindset of the church. The mindset of the church is warped and it's twisted in it's thinking, where we actually think that God is giving the sickness and disease, and the devil's the one healing it. My wife's mother was healed, uh, grandmother was healed of cancer in a revival meeting. And her pastor told him that healing's not authentic, that healing's of the devil. Yeah, true story. Completely healed. You'd be shocked at what people say. Well, we need to examine that miracle to see if it's actually true. Yeah, examine it. I got maybe 15, 20 people right off the bat, probably in the last six, eight months, that I could give you miracle stories with. You want to examine them? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Go right ahead It's yours Christian And he loves you And he wants you to have it If you're here this morning And you've never given your life to Jesus The one that I'm talking about The one and only And you say Well I'm not really sure Well you can be sure today It would be my honor to introduce you to him Because he loves you And he's calling you to himself He's calling you out of darkness Out of your unknowingness He's calling you into light into hope into future into transformation into restoration into forgiveness and if that's you this morning the Bible simply says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is risen from the dead and you'll be saved you say is that easy? yes it is it cost him a lot to make it that easy but he paid a high price to make it that simple so if you're here this morning I just want you to open your heart Pray the prayer. church is going to pray with us. We're going to pray together. We're just going to pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you are not one among many. You are the one and only. I may not understand all of this, but I believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. hoo ya! All right, we'll have a prayer team available. That's awesome. Clap it up. So we'll have a prayer team available if you need.